and you're listening to a sermon from Bent Tree Church in Loveland, Colorado. For more information about Bent Tree, visit BentTreeChurch.com. <laughs> well, good morning. It's good to see everyone here. Bibi uh, and I were uh, on vacation last week in Breckenridge, and we went to a little Baptist church that was a lot like Bentry, and except it was all wrong because y'all weren't there. So, um, but uh, it was a, it was great to go, and thank you for letting us be gone. Didn't Wade do a great job? Man, that was great. In fact, he's out preaching uh, at First Baptist Pierce. Um, uh, this week, and then Chris is going to be preaching there next week, uh, so uh, it's cool to see our young guys being sent out to be able to do that kind of stuff and, and preach and bring God's Word. So, uh, well, greetings to the family and friends of Bent Tree Church on this Lord's Day. I've been, I've been looking forward to this all week long. If you're a visitor, my name is Paul Trimble. I'd love to meet you. Bibi and I, my wife, usually hang out at the back door uh, or the front door, depending on where you're thinking of. And, and we're uh, right there. We'd love to shake your hand on the way out. And let me remind our members and just add my voice to uh, that stuff that we're doing tonight with Vision Night. Um, we have our vision and prayer meeting right here in this room. And, and let me just stress that uh, for you members that have signed up for this thing, you need to attend if at all possible. We're going to be looking, praying through what we sense God leading in this church. And then for the rest of us, we'll be sharing that in uh, coming weeks and months. It's, uh, it's real important that you're here, though. Uh, and welcome to November um, uh, no shave November, by the way, uh, or what I just call November. So let's let's talk uh, uh, about John. If you would turn to John chapter eight as we get ready to go deep to grow deep, and we grow deep in our relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. And hey, look, one of our core values that that Hunter brought forth is that relational discipleship. Uh, relational discipleship means that we all gather together regularly on Sundays for this. This is the church, not the building. This is. And then throughout the week and onesies and twosies and in our D3 groups throughout the week, this is our spiritual family. And the goal is always to help each other to grow into the fullness of spiritual maturity. Um, and I think that's important. Uh, if you can't see uh, the day drawing near, uh, you're not getting it. Uh, if you look in the headlines, um, and you look in the newspaper, and you listen to things on the internet, uh, you realize that the day is drawing near. Amen? Uh, Hunter uh, read a verse at the start of our service. Let me read it again, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. It says, let us consider how to stir up one another to, to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging each other as you see the day drawing near. And I just have to say, again, if you can't see the day drawing near in the current events, you're as spiritually perceptive as a rock. The birth pains are coming. Uh, they're more intense. All true believers long for it, pray for it. We pray that Maranatha, Lord, come, Lord Jesus, come 
And and if you don't stir, uh, if that doesn't stir you up, I don't know what will. Uh, I'm glad to see you guys here. Well, let's stir each other up, shall we? We've been working our way through John chapter 8 for a few weeks now. Uh, the setting is still the same here. Uh, Jesus has been preaching to thousands of people in Jerusalem, uh, right at the temple, and but he has been interrupted by these religious leaders over and over, and the Pharisees who were there to discredit him in front of all the people. They want to show the people that Jesus is a false teacher, a charlatan. Now, to be clear, the religious leaders want to kill Jesus, right? But they haven't been able to do that yet because the crowd is listening to Jesus. They love Jesus. And Jesus has simply not let them arrest him because Jesus said his hour had not yet come. But it hasn't been going well, to say the least, for these leaders. Uh, Jesus has used... Every opportunity in this debate to show the crowd, to show these leaders, to show us that he is the son of God and that they were, uh, the leaders are simply wrong about him. Jesus points out these religious leaders are in fact evil themselves and they are headed to hell. That's Jesus's words, not mine. They aren't from God at all, Jesus says. And I, um, I had our shepherding elders uh, start praying for us and reading through these scriptures uh, almost a year ago. And I love this. And as Brother Dave read this in verse 21 through 30, so that we can remember the context it's in, we need to hear the word of God uh, read out loud. Now, we'll pick up on verse 23. We started at verse 21. We'll pick up on verse 23. Uh, because of the context, we put verse 21 in there. All right, look at verse 23. Jesus says, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. These are fighting words, aren't they? They're fighting words. Jesus has just, in one fell swoop, just told them that he is from heaven And they are from earth and that they are guilty of their sin and separated from God for all eternity. Unless they believe in faith that Jesus is the son of God. So the great I am, the promised one, these guys don't know what to do with that. They they don't have a category for this. They, They want to have him killed, but they can't seem to just get the job done. So we pick it up in verse 25 now. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. The leaders try another tactic, don't they? Just to see if they can get Jesus to say something blasphemous, something that will stir up the crowd so that Jesus, they will spontaneously kill Jesus by stoning him to death. Now remember, everything these guys ask or speak is directed not only at Jesus, but really at the crowd. They want to trap Jesus in his words. So the question they place to Jesus, who are you? That's as basic as you can get, right? And Jesus doesn't waver in what he's been saying. He doesn't say who he is again. It's like Jesus answers, I stand on my testimony that I've given you. 
And this is pretty amazing because back in verse 13, the Pharisees had said to Jesus, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. And Jesus had replied to them that his witness was true. And on top of that witness, it was corroborated by the unimpeachable witness of God the Father. Now the Pharisees are asking Jesus, give witness, give testimony about yourself. Make up your mind, guys. You just told Jesus that his witness is not good enough. Now you want his witness. Do you see the back and forth here? I want us to zero in now for just a moment of verse 25 when they ask Jesus, who are you? And Jesus says, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. Jesus is essentially saying, I've already told you that I am the bread of life. I've told you I am the light of the world. Let's see if, if I can sum up a way of saying this. Jesus says, I am, as in the word, God, I am the very incarnation, personification, and exemplification, exemplification of life, light, and truth. And no, I couldn't have found any bigger words to write down. Those are giant words. Jesus says, I am the very incarnation, personification, and exemplification of life, light, and truth. Don't worry, I'll leave it up for a few minutes. Remember, the incarnation is that he, Jesus, is God himself. God the Son, or the Son of God. A spiritual being that has taken on the flesh of man. It's what we'll celebrate coming up here in Christmas in less than a month. That is what we're to celebrate, is that God is coming, a spiritual being taking on the flesh of man. But then, we, when we speak of Jesus being the personification, what does that mean? That Jesus has this personal nature of human characteristics. In other words, he's like you and I, except without sin. He, he's not just God. He is God in the flesh. We call him a God-man. That Then when we say exemplification of life, life, light, and truth, we're saying it doesn't just have those qualities. No. Exemplification here means he is those things. He is the life. He is the truth. He is the light. He, he doesn't just possess it. He is those things. He's not one of many things. He is those things perfectly. And Jesus is communicating that he is the very essence of truth, light, and life. Do you get that? I mean, what a statement, really. By the way, you get that no other person in history, could say that statement and it be true. E even God the Father couldn't because God the Father had not taken on flesh, huh? Or the Spirit, or any other man, because they were not God. Let's think about us, you and me. I'm talking about Christ followers, Christians, real, legit believers. Can we say that we are truth, light, and life? No, no as redeemed people, that we have been born again. We can say that we have the light. We have the truth. We can say we have the life. But we are not the source of those things, are we? 
We, we have them, but we are, uh, we are not the source of them. So we live the life of Jesus. Or we could say it better, Christ Jesus then lives through us. We shine the light of Jesus in how we live, how we speak. We carry his truth as we share it with the world where we live. By the way, that's going to start to cost us a lot more. Listen to what the Apostle John tells us in 1 John chapter 5, verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true. In his Son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God and eternal life. Make sure that you understand this. Jesus has given us understanding that we may know Jesus He is true. He's given us that understanding. We didn't figure that out. Not just that he taught truth, but check out that last line of verse 20. He is the true God and eternal life. He is the true God. He is eternal life. He doesn't just have eternal life. He is the eternal life. But that he is God and eternal life. Now, What we're not saying, make sure you get what we're not saying. We are not saying that Jesus is also God the Father or God the Spirit. No, it's not like it's one God, but it's not like Jesus then becomes God the Father or sometimes he becomes the Spirit. Jesus is the second member of the Trinity, fully God himself, but not God the Father and not God the Spirit. Now remember, the Trinity means that there is one God and yet existing in three distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. This is critical you begin to understand this. Back to John 8, look at verse 26. Jesus continues his response to their question, who are you? Here's what Jesus says. He says, I have much to say about you. And much to judge, but he who sent me is true. And I declare to the world what I have heard from him. Jesus is referring to God the Father now, right? What is Jesus saying to them? Here's what he's communicating in the first half of that verse. He says, you guys, with your inability to believe what I'm saying is incredibly reprehensible. By the way, this is the Paul Trimble translation here. And although you deserve judgment right here and now for not believing in me as the son of God, for your sneers and your pride and your lies, he says, I'm gonna hold off on your final judgment until the right time. But believe me, it's coming. That's the PPTT. That's the Paul Trimble uh, translation for today. So let me say it again. Jesus says to these Pharisees, he says, you guys, with your inability to believe what I'm saying is so incredibly reprehensible, and although you deserve judgment right here, right now for not believing in me, for your sneers, your pride, your lies, all of your sin, he says, I'm going to hold off on your final judgment until the right time. Now think about this. The God of the universe God the Son 
could have dealt with these guys and passed judgment on them right then and there. He would have been justified to do so, right? But instead of doing that, he held off instead, affirmed what he had been saying for the whole conversation. He gave a true witness to who he actually was. Now, why did he handle things this way? This is huge because it was the most perfect way to follow God the Father's plan. That's why he did it this way. God the Father's ultimate purpose for Jesus in the incarnation was what? To go to the cross, to be killed and then resurrected on the morning of the third day. The religious rulers have a role to play in serving as these prosecutors before the Roman authorities to bring that purpose about. Jesus knows that. They are like Joseph's brothers. You remember in the Old Testament story, what they meant for evil, then God uses for good. Good. Let's think about something here. When a Christ follower, a believer in Jesus, is confronted or even criticized or challenged because they are sharing the gospel message uh, uh, or following the teachings of Jesus. I'm talking about real world stuff. You guys, when you are challenged or, or, or people lean on you and say, that's not right. I mean, I can get so angry or even start arguing and try to win a fight in that moment. But this is where we can learn from Jesus right here. Jesus was meek and lowly. Instead of passing sentence on the people or condemnation on the people that oppose us, we can simply lean into Jesus' words. Always point back to what Jesus said about himself. Now let me remind you of that word meek. It's not a synonym for weak. It's not, but the dictionary will define meek as quiet, gentle, mild, and that is correct. Here's the definition of meek I have. Ready? Write this down. Meek, strength under control. Streak, strength under control. I mean, this is the ultimate strength under control. The God who spoke the universe into creation. You think he's weak? The definition of lowly is treating others without any pride in our hearts. That's how Jesus treats these guys. And how he treats each of us, by the way, right? Because although the conversation is heated, at least on the religious leader's side, Jesus remains meek and lowly of heart. He simply gives them the truth. The Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, Paul says, Rather speaking the truth and love, we are to grow in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Now, up to this point, these Pharisees, these religious leaders, had not realized that Jesus had been referring to the Father, God the Father. And as we look at verse 27, we might see some recognition in these leaders' minds. We read in verse 27, they did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father, talking about God. They realized he was talking about a Father. The light finally starts to go on. 
that he's speaking of God the Father. Now, we're not saying that they had been born again at this point. And they had be- that they had believed in Jesus as God the Son. No, no, no. That's not what they're saying. But they get that Jesus has been speaking as he is the Son of God. They don't believe yet, but they're starting to understand. And although they should have heard, they should have believed, they had been blind to it. This opens up a really scary, scary point here. I want to write this down. I want you to write this down. The spiritual death that natural man is born into prevents his being able to see, hear, and understand spiritual things. I know that's a lot, but get it down. The spiritual death that natural man is born into prevents his being able to see, hear, and understand spiritual things. These religious leaders are blind. They're deaf to the things of the Spirit. They're unable to understand that Jesus is the Son of God, that he's standing right there preaching to them. Why is this? Well, Jesus had told one of the Pharisees this truth back in John 3. Do you remember? He's talking to Nicodemus. Nicodemus is saying, how can I see the kingdom of heaven? Do you remember the reply? Look at it, verse 3 of John 3. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he what? He cannot see the kingdom of God. Do you get that? Let's simply take what Jesus says here as fact. Is that a good idea or what? Jesus says, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Do you understand? Don't don't miss this. This is every man, every woman. We are spiritually blind and deaf until we've been made alive by the Holy Spirit of God at the direction of God the Father because of the work of Jesus in his incarnation, becoming man, his perfect life, his atoning death on the cross, his victorious resurrection. We always clap for when we get to that point in that song you you heard earlier. I love that. This is true whether or not you're talking about a woman in China, a man in South America, or some dude in Russia. We can't see unless we are given life, unless we are born again. Uh, I so want you to understand that people need more than just being exposed to the light. They need inward illumination. They have to be exposed to the light before they get inward illumination. But people need more than just being exposed to the light. They need inward illumination. Now don't get me wrong here. I'm not saying the gospel is not powerful. It is. It is life to us. The apostle Paul says this in Romans 1, verse 16 and 17. Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. In other words, the message of Jesus. For it is the power of God for salvation. To everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Greek. For in it, the righteous of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now check out that last line. The righteous shall live by what? Say it. 
faith. Or another way to say that is, he will only receive life through faith. That true spiritual life comes by faith. You with me? And we know that from Ephesians 2, that faith is a gift from God. It's not something that we possess on our own. Look at verse 16 there. Paul says that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Now, the problem is not with the gospel. I want you to think about this. If it is true that the people need more than just being exposed to the light, they must have inward illumination. That means that a guy or girl can sit under the very best preaching, the most sound doctrine their entire life and understand no more than some random guy that has never heard the gospel in the middle of China. Go back to the Apostle John's words in John 8, 27. As he refers to these Pharisees, John says this. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. Notice the capital F on the Father there. They did not understand that Jesus was saying because they could not understand. That's what Jesus is saying. If we think about this, here we have Jesus, the very best preacher the whole world has ever known. Literally God himself. Like Jesus shows up, we go, hey Jesus, you take the podium, right? He preaches. He had just told them he is the son of God, hadn't he? He had just told them that he was from God and that the scriptures all testified about him. Jesus has just told him to know him was to know God the Father and that you cannot know the Father without knowing Jesus. And on top of that, he had told them that they would die in their sin and go to hell as punishment unless they believed in him as the Son of God. So we need to let those words sink in. They did not understand. These guys knew the Hebrew Scriptures The Old Testament, they knew it well. This truth could scare us, couldn't it? Because if people need more than just being exposed to the light, they need this inward spiritual illumination. Here's the good news. We looked at this earlier, but let's look at it closer. The Apostle John, he's writing to believers, the truly saved, and he's telling them how they can know that they are saved. He says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 20, John says, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. He gave us understanding, right? So that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true. In his Son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God and eternal life. Now, what does it say? Look closely at your Bible in your lap right there. For believers, we know that the Son of God, that would be Jesus, right, has come, meaning that he came physically to earth, the incarnation. We know that, and we know that he, Jesus, has given us understanding. Folks, this is what Jesus was talking about in John 3. He has given new life to those the Father has what? Given him. We saw that in John 6, didn't we? 
For those that he has given understanding have been born again, made alive by the Spirit of God. It's the whole point of John 3. And how do we know that we are truly saved? How do we know that? Because we are not only, we not only heard the gospel, but we have understood it. We have had the internal illumination that comes from the Spirit of God himself. John tells us that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true. In his son, uh, Jesus Christ, he is the true God in eternal life. For those that believe, John describes us as being in him. In other words, in Jesus. Now look at verse 28. John 8, verse 28. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, talking about himself, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Look at that. For I always do the things that are pleasing to him. This is huge. Back to John 1, once more, we read in John 8, 28. Let's read this again. Same scripture. Here it is. In John 8, 28, he's talking about Jesus is referring to his coming crucifixion as being an atoning sacrifice for the sins of all those who believe in faith that he is the son of God. Now, this is powerful. This is powerful. Talk about Jesus' words being deep water. There's a lot of depth here. There's a lot more depth of meaning, but you can get this. You can. Even new believers, you can get this. I promise you. When Jesus says in verse 28, when you have lifted me up, um, up the son of man, then you will know that I am he. Look at that one more time. In John 8, 28, Jesus is referring to his crucifixion as being an atoning sacrifice for the sins of all those who believe in faith that he is the son of God. Now, this wasn't the first time Jesus had prophesied about his death and crucifixion in this way. Back in John 3, once more, when Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus, remember back then, in verse 13 and 14, Jesus said, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. He's referring to himself. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now, what is Jesus referring to here? He's referring to the story you can read about in Numbers chapter 21. Thank your own time. Read that today, later on this week. The Israelites are in the desert. They had complained to Moses about being led into the wilderness. They want to go back to Egypt. God, in his judgment, had sent fiery serpents among the people, and they were bit. And many people died, and many more were dying quickly, in agony, from the poison. The people cried out to Moses, pray to the Lord for us. So we read in Numbers 21, 
verse 8 and 9. And the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. The people only had to look at the serpent on the pole. They're in numbers. And they were healed of the poisonous snake venom in their bodies. But get this. Why did they look when someone's sick and has the, why did they look at the snake? Because they believed it would heal them. Do you see that? They looked at the serpent because they already believed that that was the source of life. The looking was because of faith that they had. So what Jesus was saying back in John 3 and then here in John 8 is that the bronze snake, he would take on our sin as the bronze snake. Do you see what he's saying that he's alluding to? For those that believed in true faith, they would look to Jesus. He would be lifted up on the cross and we could look to him in faith on that cross and be saved from the poison of sin in our soul. Do you see the connection here? Jesus even said the same thing a third time in John. Look in John 12. Flip forward. We'll get there in like 2027 or something. John 12 verse 32 says, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Woo! He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Look, it's not just that he would be lifted up on a cross, but that in his death would also come something that would draw all people to him. In other words, something would be accompanying his death. Namely what? His resurrection from the dead. And when Jesus says, I will draw all people to myself from every nation, tribe, and tongue, Let me just ask, does that mean that all people who have ever lived will be saved? No. But like we read in John 6, 37, you remember when Jesus says this? All that the Father gives me will come to me though. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. And then skip down in chapter 6 to verse 40. Look at how this verse connects to what Jesus is saying here in John 8. John 6, 40 says, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. And I will raise Him up on the last day, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. And I will raise Him up on the last day. Folks, that's good news. And what we just read and learned about that the snake and Jesus being lifted up, let's bring that back to John 8, 28. Look at this. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the father taught me. Do you see the close connection there between the Trinity, the Godhead. In Jesus' death, it was this picture of total shame and defeat, wasn't it? In his incarnation of him becoming a human, 
Jesus went from exaltation in heaven to humiliation. His submission to death on the cross was the lowest point of humiliation possible. Of the wrath of God being poured out on Jesus who had become our sin. And yet in Jesus' resurrection, he would manifest the divine glory that he would be totally vindicated and then prove himself to be the son of God. At his resurrection, many would be convinced that he was the Messiah. They saw him die on a Friday morning. They saw him die uh, uh, Friday afternoon. And then they saw him alive, walking, talking, eating, visiting with people on a Sunday morning. That's never happened before, by the way. And it hasn't happened since. That's powerful. Then 50 days after Jesus' resurrection, on Pentecost, as the, then the Holy Spirit came upon the 120 as they met in that room to pray. Thousands and thousands would turn in true, genuine faith. They would believe on Jesus as Lord and Savior. And what's incredible is that out of the thousands that turned to Jesus on that, that day of Pentecost, there had to have been some that had called for his crucifixion. Talk about grace. Yet they, they called, they were called to life as Peter preached the gospel message to them. Jesus became both their Lord and Savior. Let's look at verse 29 again in John 8. Here it is. I put the orange words in here so you would know. And he who sent me is with me. He, God the Father, has not left me alone. For I always do the things that are pleasing to him. We've looked so much at the meaning of Jesus' words. But here's something I want you to get here. As Jesus argues with these religious leaders, these Pharisees, whatever these men thought of him, whatever their doctrine of ideas about him were, it didn't really matter to Jesus because he knew the truth of who he was, where he came from and where he was going. Namely, the cross. And most of all, that he was sent by God the Father to carry out the Father's will. Jesus was the Father's elect, which means chosen servant. And the Father would be with him. Now look back with me to the Old Testament book of Isaiah. Flip back to Isaiah for just a moment. Listen to what God the Father says. Isaiah 42. This is a prophecy God the Father is talking about Jesus as coming. This is approximately 750 years before Jesus is born in Bethlehem. Check out verse 1. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. And a, and a faintly burning wick, wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged. Till he has established justice in the earth. And the coastlands wait for his law. God the Father says, here's my son. And Jesus always did exactly what God the Father wanted. And God the Father was pleased with Jesus, wasn't he? 
these men, these religious leaders, they're blind and deaf spiritually and could not believe even though they had just heard the gospel from Jesus himself. They were dead spiritually and even though these men would make Jesus out to be a liar, a crazy man, an imposter, Jesus could claim nothing less to be who he was, the father's own son, the promised one of old, the Messiah. Then we read in verse 30, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. Now understand, this does not mean that they believed in saving faith yet. It doesn't mean that they had been born again yet. It means that they were impressed In a way that instead of viewing Jesus as an enemy, they saw him as a man of God. Apparently, many in the crowd were struck with what they had seen, what they had heard. Jesus had so carefully, so patiently been speaking to these religious leaders with meekness, with humbleness. He had spoken about his shameful death that would come with Such a composure. Can you imagine that? Talking about a death, you know you would die. And and such faith that God the Father had sent him and would be with him. But still their belief, the crowd's belief, was probably just a mental ascent at at this point. And remember, nothing can be in our heart without first being in our mind. That's just the way that God made us. The preached word can only take that truth to the level of the mind. Me preaching, me working hard on these sermons. I can say it, I can say it to you as clearly as possible, but it takes the Holy Spirit to move it from here to here. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we hear these words of life, that you have preserved for us in scripture. We're humbled that you, an all-powerful God, would speak to us, sinful, wretched men and women. That you would call us to life through your son by the power of your spirit. Father, we believe. We call on you. Save us. Save us from our sin because of what Jesus has done. We thank you for the gift that Jesus took our place, that took our sin on his back. And because of that, we can be at peace with you, Father, that we can be called your children, that you have saved us. So God, we rest in that. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Bentry Church. To get connected at Bentry and for more information, please visit BentryChurch.com.